Good morning, church family. Excited to see you this new year. Excited to uh, kick off a new year uh, and see what God's going to do in 2021. I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited about this series. We're kicking off a new series through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's going to be about a 10-week series, roughly, and then we're going to jump right into the book of Acts as well uh, and just kind of seeing what Luke has to say. Now, we're not going to cover the whole book. We're going to kind of pot shot a little bit here, kind of take away uh, from Luke. And the goal is to walk through Luke and kind of see who is Jesus, according to Luke. And it's an important question because in our world and society today, a lot of people have kind of made up in their mind things about Jesus that are just not biblical, that are just not accurate. We've created a God of our own choosing, created a Jesus of our own liking and wanting rather than what Scripture actually says he is. And so we want to take time and look at Luke's gospel and say, well, who is Jesus according to Luke? Someone who was around eyewitnesses, people, people someone who was close to that time. What, what did they actually have to say about this guy? Like, what, what, what did he look like? What did he do? Who, what characteristics can we actually see? And, and so that's going to be the goal uh, of this series in Luke. And I'm excited about it. I uh, hope you guys are too. And, and to kick off today, there's nothing better than to kick off the new year with this question right here for you to process with people around you, okay? I want a question, or a really story, if you will. I want you to take a second and share your most embarrassing story. Yeah, that one, you just go, oh, no, not that one. Yeah, that one. That's the one I'm talking about. Take a second. The people you're with around, you guys online, uh, if you can, real quickly, share your most embarrassing story. And I promise I'll try to find some way to tie this back in to the book of Luke uh, here in just a second. So I'll give you guys just a few seconds. feel like with a room of people in here, there's, I know there's got to be a few good ones online. I can only imagine right now some of the share, stories you all have, some you, you wish you didn't have to share. I, I have many uh, embarrassing stories, years of youth ministry and years of just being a, me. Uh, I have all sorts of stories, but uh, I have a couple different ones I'm going to share real quick. And I want you guys to do me a favor. Try to decide which one you believe is actually true. Okay, I'm going to tell you two stories. Uh, one, uh, I'll tell you, one, one time, a uh, long time ago, I remember uh, I went into a restaurant, uh, a fast food restaurant, was eating food, and my brother was there, and as we're sitting there eating, my brother was kind of acting a mess and stuff, and I was a teenage kid, and he knocked over this Coke, and this Coke fell in my lap and spilled in a very inconspicuous area of my lap. And so as a teenage kid, I'm very embarrassed, I'm upset, and so I get up to walk to the bathroom, and it looked like I'd wet myself. And as I go to the bathroom, I kid you not, as I'm walking back to the restroom, in comes a, uh, a charter bus pulled up full of college cheerleaders on their way to a football game. And I'm standing there, and they're looking at me, and I have to get the, between them and me, uh, uh, between me and them is, is the bathroom that I need to get to. And there's no way to get by. And here I am, you know, 13, 14-year-old kid looking like I just wet myself. Um, extremely embarrassed. I went and locked myself in there. 
um, and did not ever want to come out again. Luckily, I did eventually. So that's one story I had. Another story I think I've kind of shared before was actually in August 2001. Uh, I remember this one kind of distinctly. I was uh, going into my uh, sophomore year of high school. Uh, I went on a double date with someone who I'm now married to, and we were on a double date with my best friend, Andrew, and her best friend, Laura. And, and uh, I was, had the hots for this girl that's now my wife named Emily. And uh, we went on a double date, and we went and ate at Shorty Smalls. I remember that. And uh, I didn't know that I was supposed to pay for the meal until I got there. And I had $20 in my pocket. And I remember us ordering food, and I'm freaking out. Like, what do I do? And I literally uh, am doing the math in my head. I run back to the bathroom and get my calculator trying to figure out if I have enough money. And my bill and her bill came to like 1975, and I left a 25-cent tip because that's all I had. Didn't know. Later that night, we went back to her house, and we watched... Uh, uh, Unbreakable. I don't know if y'all remember that movie or not. Horrible. It's just a dumb movie, actually. Wasn't very good at all. But, but what came embarrassing that night is the whole night I'm trying to gear up the confidence to ask her to be my girlfriend. Like, I'm going to ask her, you want to be my girlfriend? Ask her out. I've already talked to my friend Andrew, and he's already co- corroborated with her best friend, said, yes, she's interested in you, and, and back and forth. And we were outside hanging out, playing on her trampoline and stuff, because I guess that's what we did and stuff. And our friends go inside, and, and I remember standing by the door, and we're about to go inside. She's me and Emily, and I'm like, just, just ask her. Just ask her. And it felt like an eternity, just sitting, holding the door, and she's just kind of standing there. We're both sweating and just sitting there. And, and I'm trying to build up the confidence. She looks at me and she says, Th- thanks for the meal. Thanks for the great night. I had a good time. And I said the most profound thing that I ever said. I said, you earned it. And I'm like, I, I didn't know how to recover from that. And I, and I was like, like, you know, and then I asked her, do you want to be my girlfriend? She said, yes. I'm like, I guess it worked out somehow. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Uh, guys, don't ever use that line. Uh, even though it worked for me, I'm not promising you it'll work for you. I tell you that story, uh, those stories, which one would you say is probably true if you were trying to wrestle and process which one? The reality is, to be honest, both of them are true. But if you had to lean towards one, you might lean towards a second because the details are so significant. I can trace back of when it happened, who was with me, movies and accounts, historical accounts, you're going to corroborate all this sort of stuff. I can tell you the time of weather, all this sort of stuff, all these details come to truth. You see, details bring in depth, make it a reality, seem like it's a more feasible situation going on. But why, why do I say all that? Because when we look at Luke's gospel, Luke is known for being very detail-oriented and goes to great lengths to unpack about this Jesus. It brings validity to the story and brings us to our point we'll get to here in a bit. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read some. And as you turn there, I will tell you this is a book written by, yes, the author, his self-proclaimed gospel of Luke. is written by Luke. Luke was a Greek. He was also a Gentile. As a matter of fact, he's the only Gentile who has a book in the New Testament. Imagine that. All the other are Jewish descent, Jewish backgrounds. This one is a Gentile. If you don't know anything about Jewish history, this would have been a big no-no. This would be a person you do not want to have them writing a book of the Bible. But yet he's a partner, a companion of Paul, has been with Paul. We learn this from Colossians. It tells us that he's a physician who's been with Paul, who gets firsthand accounts from Paul, as well as eyewitness accounts from all the disciples. And this is who's writing this. And most people think uh, Luke wrote this gospel in about 60 A.D. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And then later we'll come to chapter 3, verse 23 through 28. Verse 1 says this. It says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us, that they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early de- disciples. 
Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus. Theophilus, most people believe, was actually a donor who paid uh, money to uh, support the writings of Luke going on here. Someone who was probably a Gentile Christian that was wanting validity and took Luke and said, listen, you're an expert, would you go and write this? Uh, it also means the one God loves, so some people debate that, but most scholars believe this is uh, who Theophilus is. Verse 4 says, why does he do this? So that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, there's a lot I want to unpack here, but uh, I want to talk about real quick some things we see in Luke's gospel. We learn from Luke he's a very detail-oriented pe- person. And the question you want to ask is, why does Luke go into so much details, uh, just like my story did with you guys? The, the point is this, I want you to see, we see so many details of Luke, and the big thing that brings the picture about Jesus is the fact is this, Jesus is real. He, he was a real person. Why can Luke pack, unpack so many details about Jesus and tell you so much historical information? Because Jesus was real. It doesn't start out with once upon a time, there was once this man lived long, long, or in a galaxy far, far away. Also, he actually begins historical information about this guy that you could go and corroborate and unpack. Jesus is a real person. It's the point that I want you to see just from this early get-go of what's going on. Jesus actually existed. Let's look at first and foremost some things that give validity to this. How can we know that Jesus is real? Look at verse 1. It says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He says, Many people have written accounts about Jesus. Even at 60 AD and this time in history and going on, apparently there are a lot of people who have already written about this Jesus. And he's saying, Listen, you've heard, you've seen these stories, these accounts circulated around you. I'm not the first. I'm just adding to the noise what's going on. Who is he talking about here? What biblical, what other writings is he talking about? What other accounts? Well, we know from history the biblical writings that already took place. Most likely we believe that uh, Luke would have been familiar with some of the epistles that Paul had already written. He's known that was probably right there while Paul was writing some of these things. We, we know that uh, Matthew and Mark, two of the Gospels, had probably already been written, and he had seen and read for himself and been able to corroborate off those. Even James, Jesus' own brother, letter has already been written. And he's read these things like, I know you've seen these letters. I know you've heard about the accounts. Not just that, even outside of the Bible, there's other things that point to show us that Jesus is real. You have writings that we call now today called pseudopigrapha writings, which means false writings. They're people who wrote gospels about Jesus, but the early disciples said there's just some things that are not completely accurate about the thing, and so they never held them as authoritative. You have the gospel of Judas, believe it or not. Someone wrote a gospel according to Judas. I can't believe that being a popular one. You know, the guy who betrayed Jesus. You have a gospel of Mary. You have a gospel of Tobit, of Timothy. You have all these different gospels out there that people say, no, these are not true. And so you have false accounts going out there, and Luke's wanting to write to give a real indication. Listen, we want to tell you who he really is. You have all this stuff going on. Not just that, if you even go outside the Bible, you have secular references outside of the Bible, people who had no affiliation, no interest in Jesus whatsoever, who corroborate the stories of the disciples. I'll give you some example. There's a guy named Josephus who in 93 AD wrote his Jewish memoirs, a historical account, a 25 writings called the Jewish Antiquities. And in that two different times, he references this Jesus Messiah and talks about him, who he is. Now, let me give you another one. There's another guy named Tacitus. Tacitus was a Roman senator, and he was a top respected historian in the Roman world. He mentions Emperor Nero, and he even mentions Christ being crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
Well, why am I telling you this information? Because people had to attest to what actually happened. Jesus was a real person. People nowadays try to get, say, well, Jesus never existed. It was all, there's no evidence. There's evidence all sorts of places outside of the Bible. There's a guy named Thallus who was a historian dated in 52 AD. He, had to, he wrote a, a, a letter explaining away the darkness that took place on the death of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, later it talks about a death taking place when Jesus died that was undescribable. Like, how do you explain this natural phenomenon? And Thallus, in a totally different document, is trying to explain off how this was some sort of lunar eclipse that took place that darkened the whole earth, and this is what happened. They had to account for what took place. You have another guy named Meribaris Serpian. I probably butchered his name, but he was a guy who was a Syrian, a Stoic philosopher who was locked up. And while he was in prison, AD 70, he wrote his son a letter and saying, son, I want you to pursue wisdom. In his letter, Pursue Wisdom, he starts talking about uh, Socrates and Pythagoras. And he also talks about Jesus. He says, listen, even talk about, listen to the wisdom that he has. But why am I telling you all this information well, I love what the case of Christ says. It says this in their book. It says, if you put all of this external evidence together, you have persuasive evidence that corroborates all the essentials found in the biographies of Jesus. In other words, the Gospels. Even if you were to throw away, listen to this, even if you were to throw away every last copy of the Gospels, you'd still have a picture of Jesus that's extremely compelling. In fact, you would be able to tell this just from evidence outside of Scripture alone, just from secular things, you'd be able to corroborate this, that Jesus was a Jewish teacher, that people believed he performed healings and exorcisms, that people believed he was the Messiah, that he was rejected by Jewish leaders, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that people worshipped him as God. Do you understand all this evidence point people outside? There are many written accounts that show that what? Jesus was a real person. He's not some Zeus or Hercules or some story like that. He was a literal real person that walked this earth that people saw with their own eyes and attested to and had to give an account for. Those that believed in him and even those that didn't. Luke's gospel is telling us like Jesus is real. Can I tell you another thing? Look at verse 2. How else can we know he's real? Because it says this. How did they get their accounts? It says they used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. He says there are firsthand eyewitness accounts. Scripture details these accounts all throughout Scripture. Listen to some of them real quick. They have firsthand accounts of Jesus. 2 Peter 1.16 says this. Peter says, For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of Lord Jesus Christ. He says, We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. So I'm not making this up. You saw it with your own eyes. You saw what Jesus did. 1 John 1.3, John says this, We proclaim that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with our Father and his, with his Son, Jesus Christ. John 19, verse 33 through 36, whenever Jesus was crucified, it says this, but when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, and they didn't break his legs. And one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Listen to this. This report is from an eyewitness giving an an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. Like, people saw this. You saw what took place. Acts 1-3, you see after Jesus resurrected, talks about the disciples seeing him. He went and talked to him. Acts 2-22, Peter, as he stands and preaches this famous first sermon that starts the church, he's like, listen, all these things Jesus did, he's telling the people in the audience, you saw it, you saw it yourself. You can deny it, but you saw it. You can tell me I'm wrong, but you saw it. You saw it with your own eyes. 
Even in Acts 26, last one, I know I'm going on, but Acts 26, when Paul is standing before the Roman authorities, giving his account before the, the leaders, the authorities that are, he says this, he says, Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replies, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all, what, familiar to him. You, you can deny it, but you, you know, you've heard this sort of stuff. They've seen it. You have eyewitness accounts that have actually seen this real resurrected Jesus. Why is that important? Because as, Paul's, as, John, sorry, as Luke's writing this gospel, if there were stuff that were not true, people would come and say, hey, no, we were there. That didn't take place. That, that did not happen, Luke. There's, there's no, that did not happen. We, we saw that there was no Jesus. There was no, guy that, there was no guy that did miracles. There was no guy that, res- people saw this. If you don't know what that is, then, then you don't maybe have kids. In, in my life, I remember one time when Hallie was three years old, they have a playroom, and we go back there, and, and, and there's pieces of paper cut all over the floor. And we asked Hallie, I said, Hallie, why did you do this? And she said, I didn't do it, Lexi did. Now, if you don't know who Lexi is, this is a miracle because Lexi is our little white dog this big. Now, in a split second, I'm thinking Charlotte's Web has nothing on us right now because if this dog can actually cut paper, we are going to get rich of going around and showing what this amazing dog can do. But in the background, her older sister's doing, no, that's not how it happened. That's not, nope, nope, that's not how it happened. Can I tell you something? As Luke's talking about this, he's talking about all these people that have seen. If it did not happen the way it did, they would have come and shut down his letter immediately and said, this is not true, Luke. But yet it got passed down over history of saying being accurate, and yet we have this letter today. Why? Because it was authoritative. People saw with their own eyes. How else can we tell it's true? Look at Luke chapter 3. Luke says this, or sorry, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an account, a careful account for you. We know from Luke's personal journalistic effort, Luke says, I carefully, and this, this word carefully uh, investigated means to dissect or do an autopsy. He's like, from the beginning, the whole story, I did an autopsy myself, investigated, and what I found is what I'm sharing with you. Now, why does Luke, why is Luke a right person to do this? What gives Luke the right to think he's the guy that has the permission and ability to stand up and write a letter about Jesus? He didn't even see it firsthand. Like, who does he think he is? We, we know from his background, like I said, he was a Greek. Greeks in this time valued historical accuracy. So we know there's a sense of historical accuracy that's going to be there just from his culture alone that he brings to the picture. He's, he's not just that, he's also a doctor. We learned this from Colossians. Doctor, being in his nature, was very meticulous and attention to details. He was educated at it well, so we know he's not speaking from an uneducated background. Even more so, he's with Paul. We know Paul says this himself. He's giving firsthand account of what Paul had attested to, and he's with Paul when he's talking to Peter and all these different disciples of what's happened. He is the perfect person. As a matter of fact, Charles Swindoll, I love, said this. He said, perfectionists will love Luke. Because he has the mind of a scientist, the pen of a poet, and the heart of an artist. And you see it all throughout his writing. And so Luke is the right person for it. Not just that, look at chapter 3. How else can we know that Jesus is real? And Luke chapter 3, I think, is one of the most impressive things I find in Scripture about it. Verse, chapter 3, verse 23. You see, from 23 all the way to verse 38, you see a genealogy of Jesus. 
starts in verse 23. It says, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And it begins listing off his whole lineage. It says, Jesus was the son of Joseph. Joseph, the son of Heli. Heli, the son of Mathot. Mathot, the son of Levi. You have these characteristics going down, even down to the son of David in verse 31. In verse 34, you see Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. You go to the very back in 36, you see Noah. In 38, you see Adam, and then it always takes him to the Son of God. Jesus has a genealogy. He has a genealogy that can trace all the way back to the beginning. Let me ask you this. How many of you can trace back, how far back can you trace back your genealogy? In all seriousness, how many generations back can you go? Here's the more impressive one. How many generations back can you actually name the first name of your grandmother and grandfather going back? My grandma and grandpa know Rita and Donald. My, my great-grandmother, I know her grandmama, grandmommy and papa. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know their first names. Is that not crazy? That's all I've ever known them as. I don't even know who my great-great-grandmother is or grandfather is. You go back farther than that, I can't even begin to tell you. I don't know my descent. I don't know if we come from what, what background or, or, or genealogy my family is. And yet no one sits here and questions whether or not I'm a real person, because I can't tell you that. Jesus' genealogy goes back 77 generations. Can you imagine it? Being able to trace all the way back. This is a real person that can go all the way. Like, listen, I can tell you who his great, 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 great grandpa is and great, great, great grandmother. I can go all the way back. Why am I telling this? Because Jesus is a real person. He actually existed. He walked this earth. He lived. He breathed. He suffered just like me and you. It was not some mythical story. Why does all this matter? Because look at verse 4. He explains why all this matters. He says, I write all this to you. Why? So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. I love what he says. So that you may know with certainty the things about which you've been taught. That word you may know means to possess with competency. Possess information with competency. With certainty means to have a feeling with no doubt. You can walk away with extreme confidence of what? The things. That word things, the original language, is logos. It's a word that often gets translated as the message or gospel. But for whatever reason, he uses things in this situation. It literally is saying you can have confidence in the gospel that was given to you so you can walk with certainty. I love what the message version says. It says this. It says, so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught what I'm saying is this, is Jesus is real, you can have confidence is what he's saying. As a matter of fact, if Jesus is real, I can be confident in my salvation. If Jesus actually existed, if Jesus actually did what he said he did, then I can have confidence in my salvation and what he said he did. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was real, then my salvation is real. Because if Jesus couldn't save himself, then how could he save us? But if Jesus could save himself, what hope does that give me? He actually existed. And we have historical accounts as one, that he was born, he was raised, he lived, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You have other accounts that said they actually saw him afterwards. There comes a point where we say, listen, am I going to put my faith, I can walk with confidence because I know this is true, so I can have confidence in this truth. If Jesus is real, you should walk with your chest out and head hell high that my salvation has been bought with a price, and I can walk with confidence. If Jesus is real, can I tell you another thing? If Jesus is real, then I can be confident in my evangelism. 
If Jesus is real, I can be confident in my evangelism. Why do I say that? Because when I say that, it's because I'm not sharing mythical stories. I'm not sharing folklore. I'm not sharing once upon a time, a long, long in a galaxy far, far away, or whatever sort of stuff. I'm sharing actual things that took place. And so you as an evangelist, your job for telling people is just simply to tell them what actually happened, share the story, and let them decide for themselves. At some point, they may reject it. It's not your responsibility to make sure they believe it. It's just your job to present the story. Can I tell you that nowadays, people are going to reject truth even when it's right in front of them, even when you have evidence. Can I tell you, and I might step on some toes in here, I don't know, people today actually reject that the Holocaust ever took place. They believe that was a mythical story and it was all made up. People nowadays actually even reject the moon landing and say it was all staged in a studio in California. And if you are one of those people, I'm not making fun of you, but I'm saying, listen, people debate evidence and people debate historical things that took place. Why is it any surprise that people debate whether or not Jesus actually was real? You're going to face that. It's not your job to prove them wrong. It's your job just to present the evidence and say, this is what took place. You decide now. I've laid the evidence at your feet. What are you going to do with this? Can I say my last thing? If Jesus is real... I can be confident in my faith. I can walk with confidence in every step of the way knowing that Jesus can do what he said he's going to do. Jesus can come and fulfill and take care of all things in my life. I can walk with confidence. Here's what happens to a lot of us. A lot of times we don't honestly believe in God and we have that hint of doubt and it keeps us from taking bold steps in his name. If you really believe without a shout out, Jesus is who he says he was and did what he said he did, and he is going to do what he's going to do, would you walk with doubt in sharing with people what's going on? Would you walk with doubt in every step of your life? No. The reality is there's that hint of doubt that keeps us pacified, that keeps us on the sidelines. James describes it like this. When we have doubt, we're like people who are at sea, tossed back and forth by the waves. At one moment, we have confidence in God, but as soon as the world hits us, we back down and say, I'm not sure that's real anymore. If Jesus is real, listen, you need to walk with confidence in who God is. See, at the end, if Jesus is real, you need to walk with confidence. Luke is trying to tell us that right there. He kicks off his whole story and says, giving this evidence saying, listen, Jesus is real. And the question you have to ask yourself today is this very important question is, do you believe that Jesus is real? Like, honestly, do you believe that Jesus is real? Or do you treat it like it's some made-up story that your parents passed down just to keep you to be a good kid? That it's some story that we just do to make us feel better about ourselves, to pacify us in dark times? Or do we believe that Jesus actually lived, breathed, and did? The Son of God came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, walked a perfect life, paid the perfect sacrifice, and became the perfect Savior. I think the more important question we have to ask ourselves today is this question right here. Do you actually want Jesus to be real? Do you want him to be real in your life? If you want him to be real, there comes a point you have to come and accept him and start walking with confidence and say, you know what? I believe this. I have boldness like I didn't have before. I believe this is true. I believe this is real. There's evidence. There's enough stuff that I've seen in the past that points to me to say this is true, and so I can have confidence in moving forward in my life. At some point, you have to put your faith in him and walk with boldness. If you're a child of God, listen, your goal today here is to leave with your head held high and your chest out and saying, I have confidence in my salvation. I have confidence in who this Jesus is. I don't have to be timid. I don't have to be fear about what I say or what I share because I know it's the truth. If you're not a child of God, you have a decision to make today of whether or not I'm going to choose to believe Jesus is real. I'm going to choose to pray to receive him and say, Jesus Christ, I believe that you lived, you walked, you died, you resurrected, and you came just so that I could be saved. 
and we too can celebrate your baptism. This water's warmed up right now. It's sitting there warm right now. We could do it today. You guys online, you're sitting at home right now, same thing. It's a decision you have to make today. Do I want this truth to be real in my life? And so I ask where you are, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and allow the Lord just to speak truth to you right now. With your head bowed, eyes closed, I challenge you just to pray this to God. Jesus, I believe you're real. And today I'm going to walk out with confidence. If you're a child of God, I pray that you take that prayer to heart and you actually walk and do that. If you've towed the water of Christianity and you've came around church long enough but you've never professed your faith in Jesus Christ, today you need to say something else. Jesus, I believe you're real and I want you in my life. Scripture says simply this, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is real and you confess your mouth that he did everything he said he did, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he paid the price you could not pay, you will be saved. And if you want that truth, you can have the salvation today. I pray that we all walk out of our home, walk out of our, this room today with confidence in who he is. Father God, I love you so much. I thank you for the simple truth that you are real. I fear too often, God, that we walk around treating you as though you're some mythical story, that you're no different than Zeus or, 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 or uh, Hercules or some other story that's took place. God, I know I don't always live like you're real. I, I, I shadow and fear sometimes and I follow it because I have doubts in my mind, but God, I need to have boldness in who you are. God, I pray we as a church will start being bold in our faith because we know that you, you are real. God, help us to hang our hat on that truth. I pray those who are going to sound my voice that made a decision. God, I pray they have confidence to come talk to me or one of the elders or Matt or one of the staff and just find out what it takes to take the next steps in those faith, that faith journey. I pray 2021 would be a year that we walk away with boldness in who you are. Pray that our lives would be changed through who we see you are in Scripture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us in person online as we close and worship. Don't forget, on your way out, there are tithes and offering buckets. You can kick off this year. Make sure you stay faithful to your offering. Um, you can also give online if you're online, our online platform if you want. You can even set up recurring giving if that's something that helps you out. Uh, again, if this is a tough season for you, let us know. We'd love nothing more than to help you out if there's any way we can. Um, so I'm going to ask if you would stand. And let's uh, just jump into worship right now.